Hello, hello. I am Karen Jean-François, and this is the Women in Data podcast, a podcast where every other week I interview some of the most inspiring women working in data. They discuss how data is used in various industries, share their knowledge and experience in the field, and equip you with tips to help you overcome challenges on your career and feel great. Let's get straight to it. I am joined today by Natalia Larskaya, Chief Data Officer at Zestmoney. Natalia is by far the most technical leader I've met, and I am impressed by the depth of her knowledge. Coming from a background in applied economics, she made her career in the financial technology sector as a data scientist and later on, building data science teams and capabilities. In this episode, she shares her excitement at working with startups and being at the foundation of something new, as well as her experience building data science teams from scratch. Not only will you hear about the challenges she overcame building and leading teams, you will also get her insights on the role data scientists should play within an organization. Lastly, she shares her best tips as to how to align data science work with business objectives while ensuring data scientists and business leaders understand each other. Hi, Natalia. Welcome to the Women in Data podcast. It's such a pleasure to have you with me today. Hi, Karen. It's mutually my pleasure to be here. Thanks for inviting me. Yeah, I'm super excited about our conversation. And I was saying that before, we got in touch in 2021 and then started talking about all these amazing things you're doing and even talking about lookalike analysis and things that I could use in my work and how you're using it on your side. And what we're going to talk about today is really setting up data science team and how you've done that because your journey is very amazing and I can't wait for you to share that with the audience. But before we get into it, can I invite you to introduce yourself? Sure. Yeah, absolutely. I'm Natalia. I'm uh, currently holding the role of Chief Data Officer at Zest Money, which is a still startup company. I've been here for the last six years, six and a half years, I'm basically building the data science team, data science capabilities. By my background, I'm economist. I actually been uh, doing my master's degree in economics. I've been doing uh, my PhD in uh, institutional economics as well. Although that was very much applied economics with a lot of statistics, econometrical analysis, so it's pretty much mathematical heavy. So I didn't really feel the big difference when going to work with the data. And I've been always passionate about data. I really loved working with it. After I graduated, I joined a company called Creef, where it was my first real experience with a lot of data, with a lot of modeling, with a lot of statistical analysis. It is a financial technology company, and I didn't know anything about finance at that time. Mm -hmm. uh, I actually learned a lot with my own hands, on my own experience, and I'm very thankful to all the people I met there. And since then, uh, I've kind of uh, been always in the financial technology sector. I then uh, joined Vongar. I've been spending three years in London working as a data scientist for them and then growing and heading uh, the data science and the innovation team. And afterwards, I moved to Zest Money. Yeah, this is where I am. 
Yeah, that's that's exciting. And I love the fact that at university, it was all abstract. As you said, it wasn't very applied. And then you got to change and do everything that you learned and put it in practice. It's quite nice. You mentioned that, okay, you've always been in the financial services sectors. And now you are at Zest Money in Switzerland. Could you tell us a bit more about who Zest Money are and what they're doing? Yeah, that, that's funny because I am based in Switzerland, but the company is actually Indian company. I moved to Switzerland uh, with Wonga. They've been opening their headquarters there, and I've been spending a couple of years there. And uh, Zest Money is a company that is founded by my ex three colleagues from Wonga. So they decided uh, to set together a similar sort of business, which is by now pay later business in India. Somewhere at the end of 2015, they called me and proposed to join them. At the time, there were just these three co-founders. There was no any other employee. And I, I was thinking that it will be an exciting opportunity for me to try something completely new. And yeah, that, that, that's how I joined them. But that's <laughs> such a change because you were in London working for a big company, right? And then you moved to three people. <laughs> yeah, indeed. <laughs> When I joined Wonga, that was not that big. It was like 30, 40 people. But by the okay. time when uh, I've been finishing my career with them, uh, the, the company grew up to almost 1,000 people. So it was a, a really huge growth for the company. And uh, yeah, that, that was to come back to, to the company where we didn't yet have the office. Uh, we were just, you know, working everyone from different places, uh, connecting online. Uh, it was amazing. Okay, so it's it's very interesting how you're basically seeing companies grow and then you're there from, I guess, the, the infancy and then helping them create all their data capabilities. And I would like to know, is this what you like doing? So I'm trying to understand what makes you go to a company that has two people and be, yes, I'm going to be your your third person and help you build that. Overall, I am a person who is open to new opportunities. I like to try something new to feel myself going out of the comfort zone. I think I, I'm a bit bored with the routine and the <laughs> things are getting settled. And uh, here, uh, I think there, there are a few reasons why I joined them. Uh, first of all, of course, it is a completely different market. I never been, well, f first of all, I never been to India myself at, at that time. Uh, I never been uh, to overall Asia region. So I was thinking, oh, that could be an opportunity for me to know this culture, to know people there. And they already sounded very exciting. But on top of this, uh, I think I always wanted to be at the very beginning of building something new. And that's also the reason why I moved from academia to industry, because I like to see the immediate impact of what I'm doing. And this is a, what you see very well in industry, and especially in such a fast developing industry as a fintech, where you literally build something today and tomorrow you see what the impact and the result is on the, on the business, on the business value. So I think that that's what I like and, and uh, I wanted to be part of this story where you, you basically at the beginning you do everything, right? You, you're not really sticking to some job description or whatever you need to do. You, you are the foundation of how you build and also what culture you build. This is, I think, also very important. So you're, you're not joining a specific culture that is already formed and you potentially might have the marginal impact of how it is changing but you are setting it how people are communicating with each other what type of environment they feel and I think that's also something that I really like. 
It's incredible because everybody I spoke with who moved from either academia or research to industry, they, they said exactly the same thing. They wanted to move away from academia because they wanted to see the impact of what they're doing and and they wanted to see it while they, they were doing it rather than having to wait years and years. So I know I interviewed last year uh, Harrieta, who is from IQVIA, and she was saying that she had a recognition from a paper she wrote or for some research she's done, and they were actually getting some budget to actually implement it. But that was more than 10 years after she's done the work. So I guess you have to be very patient when you're in academia or in research to be able to see that. Yeah, well, I I didn't face uh, that much long times, but still to publish a paper, maybe now the situation changed, but at the times I was studying, it was like taking two, three years before the paper is completed and then you send it to the editor and then the, the whole back and forth process of editing and accepting finally the paper. You can be accepted after like multiple rejects or multiple edits and that, that it takes time. And for me, it's always the question, unless you do something fundamental or theoretical, whether the practical things that you're building still valid and still holds true after that long time, because the, the environment is changing, technologies are changing. And I think that that's exactly the reason why I wanted to, to be at the front of the technology rather than looking a bit more from it as a tool perspective. That's a really good way of putting it and justifying that decision. I, I love it, especially, I guess, COVID definitely showed us that the reality of yesterday might not be the reality of, of tomorrow. We started talking about what Destiny was doing and then I got in, but I'm not sure if you explain what they were doing. Yes, sorry, I completely missed this. Zest Money is a financial technology company. So basically it proposes to you to make a purchase online or offline in offline stores to split your payment in installments or make a sort of credit card payment. So you do not have the hassle of applying for the credit card like you do with the mainstream banks, but you actually just complete the form and a couple of clicks. You get a credit line assigned to you and you can use for any purchase online or in some in-store channels as well. So that's a type of product that is uh, at a very high demand now in Europe. The likes of Klarna, for example, are doing similar type of things. What I like as well about the company is that it, it has quite important niche specifically on, at, in India where there is just a very tiny percentage of people who have access to formal financial credit. Mm. And uh, the, the company like Zest Money, they help people to gain this access, to have the credit, to be able to make purchases, to make their life more affordable and convenient. And at the same time, then being able to enter this formal financial sector and, for example, get the mortgage or get some other types of loans for any needs they have. So I liked a lot the mission of the company as well that I believe is very important nowadays. Yeah, definitely. You joined the company, you said, six years and a half ago to help build their data science capabilities. So you went from three of you building the company to more people now. And how many yeah. are you now? <laughs> we are almost 500 now. Oh, wow. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> Fast growing, definitely. Absolutely. Yeah, the, the couple of, last couple of years was a really tremendous Oh, growth. wow. <laughs> I guess what I would like to 
to hear about uh, the challenges that you face when you build that team. Yeah, I should say there were quite a lot of them, <laughs> indeed. And uh, now my team is around 40 people. Basically, I, I grew the team from zero to 40 people. And I would say that there, are, there were different challenges. First of all, uh, considering that I've been staying in Europe, the first months I've been coming very frequently and staying for a long time in India itself because our headquarters is in India, in Bangalore, and everyone I was hiring have to be on the Indian market. Mm. And now I think when you say I'm working remotely, people just say, well, I'm doing that too, right? But six years ago, no one was working remotely. And to hire people remotely or at least half remotely, that, that was quite a challenge. And especially in India, because you have a telephone call and uh, the internet connection is very weak there. So the telephone just keeps dropping multiple times. And, you know, this kind of basic challenges that you take for granted a lot of things here in Europe. But when you go to Asia, I think you need to account for such situation. Uh, the second big challenge, and I think uh, many startup companies are facing it, is uh, to attract great talent. Yeah. Because at that time, no one knows who we are, what the company is about. We are basically selling the dream to people. And considering that the market for data scientists is very competitive, the good talent goes to the likes of Google or Amazon, and no one knows uh, who this money are. And that you need to persuade them that we are building something great and cool and there will be a lot of opportunities for them, again, to, to build the history together with the company. Specifically for data scientists, I, I think the challenge as well is there is a wide range of definitions of what data scientists, who data scientists is and what they are supposed to do, right? And when you hire, a lot of expectations are about people building deep learning models, and when you come to the startup where you even do not have any data at the beginning, right? So you need to build the whole infrastructure first. You need to bring this data. And when you start building your first model, you maybe have like hundreds or a few thousand data points. So the data scientist is like, mm, that's not really what we've been expecting. And I think you need to find the right balance, the right trade-off between the data scientist expectations, what they are going to do and what they expect to do, because this is critical. And in our case as well, it's not that we immediately figured out what the best solution can be. Like, let's look for some mythical data scientist unicorns with some PhDs who are doing great research. But... First of all, business doesn't need this type of people at the very initial stage of the, of the development. We actually need probably more junior people who are hands-on, doing a lot of data analysis, data preparation, just creating all the data pipelines. So there's a lot of engineering background as well. But at the same time, the ones who understand and can build the models, can build the algorithm and do a lot of stuff. So I think that was quite a challenge as well. I understand we are not the only ones facing it, but again, six years ago, the words like data science, AI were pretty much buzzwords. Yeah. Now, I think with the pandemic, especially a lot of companies realize that actually they need to be on this, you know, train AI data scientists because this is where the future is and it's better for them to join rather sooner than later. And there is real value that companies start seeing. But six years ago, that wasn't completely the case. 
Yeah, and if you, anyone who's been around for more than six, ten years in the field would have definitely seen that race to get top talent and also getting more data centric and making sure that decisions are informed by analytics and data science. It's been quite uh, rewarding and quite funny as well to look at that. But something you said, which I totally agree with, is this variety of definitions we have and the expectations. And I really appreciate you saying that we have to be more realistic around what skills we need for the business and who we're, we're hiring and making sure that this matches. Because if your data scientists are disappointed when they join the business, then what good is that for you? Absolutely. I guess because at the beginning, you said you didn't have the data, you were still collecting the data. So your team was more focused on data engineering than data science. And then that evolved over time. But your background is in economics and analytics. And you've basically built a team that initially was not doing analytics. It was a team that was making sure that the data was there at the right place, right? Yeah, I think uh, it was analytics, but more, uh, I would say, basic analytics, just uh, sort of understanding the data that we are collecting from quality point of view, from uh, business point of view, because uh, that was also the time when we were just testing the product, who is our right target audience. Do we see people behaving in the same way we expected them to behave? So there was a lot of hypothesis testing. So I would say much more classic statistical analysis rather than anything like data science and machine learning. But uh, from data perspective, yes, the, the idea was, so together with the hiring, actually to start building something, right? Because we also had expectations to deliver the actual product uh, and the specifics of our product is we basically take all decisions digitally and in a real time. So basically the customer just completes the application form or does a couple of clicks and we need to decide whether we want to give him credit line or not, how much interest rate we want to charge him. And uh, all this is happening based on the data that we are collecting, based on the algorithm. Of course, now this is like a super complex and sophisticated system. But at that time, majority of the decisions were like half manually. We were going through the data, uh, understanding the data. Did we collect it in the right way? How we need to store it? I think the challenge that I've been facing and we've been facing at that time that you need to build the system now, but you need also to take into account how scalable the system needs to be for the complexities, at least for the next two, three years. And from day one, the company took decision to build the system internally and not to outsource it or buy it. And I think nowadays, it's not about you buy it or and outsource or you build it internally. I think it's all about all the different combinations that can happen mm -hmm. in between, how much you are buying, how much you are building internally. And I think this whole complexity of what we need to do, how much time and how much resource we, we need to spend on specific things, that was quite a challenge. There was no answer for this. So it was all about our own, to some extent, gut feeling, but also understanding where we want to be and what we believe our competitive advantage is. I'm thinking of the headache you must have had trying to make all these decisions. I was wondering, how would you go? So if someone like a startup very early in, in the stages, or even a big company that hasn't been focusing on data science so far, if they're trying to build a data science team, what would you say are the key steps they need to go through? Yeah, that's a very good question. And I think there's no right answer that fits all 
It's all about considering the context of different companies, the, the purpose, uh, why they are doing it. And I think that the most important thing before you even start building anything is to ask the right question, why you want to do it. Are you doing uh, data science or AI and machine learning just for the sake of doing AI or you are solving a specific business problem? Because a lot of things, especially at the very beginning, can be solved with basic models. Unless we are in a, some sophisticated environment with already a lot of data collected with a good quality, I think the first question is to align the data AI strategy with the whole company strategy and understand what are the questions that these people are supposed to answer. And I think coming back to your previous question about my more analytics background, what that helped me a lot to understand is the data scientists, they're very technical people. And there is inevitably a gap between business people and technical people because they just speak in completely different languages. And what analytics mindset and experience helped me to do is to bring these people at the same page and to some extent educate business people about everything data science, machine learning. But what is even more important to help data scientists understand that their role and the most important contributions that they can do to the company is not just sitting in front of computers, running Python code, building some sophisticated models, but actually going to the business team, going to other business units and talking and understanding understanding what the problem is, what kind of problem they are trying to solve. And not to just have the narrow definition, we need to build this or that model, and not take data science as a project-based approach, but actually to have a, a complete understanding of the business where their contribution can fit and how they can help business to solve problems with a data science predictive analytics uh, tool sets. This is something I talk about a lot is really understanding the why. So although I don't, I don't use it from the principle of building a team because this is not something I've done in the past, but even any kind of analytics of data science projects should definitely start with the why. Otherwise you just end up with so many iterations and having to redo the work and realizing that you've done the work, but this needs to go to the bin. While if you start from the beginning with knowing why you're doing it and how it's going to help, that changes the game fully. Absolutely. Fully agree with you. You mentioned the fact that you're using your analytics background and your experience to be able to bridge the gap between the data scientists who are very technical and the business. And from what I've seen, although this is changing, a lot of data leaders do not come from a technical background. So they don't come from an analytics background. And that means that there is still this disconnect because the team, as you said, might be struggling to communicate with business because they are not business people. And then you will have the leader who might, things might be lost in, in translation. So... Is that something that you've seen in the past? And if so, how have you seen the problem solved? Yeah, absolutely. I think that this gap is definitely reducing in the last years, again, because the whole dynamics of the technology of the industry goes beyond just big data, AI words, but people really start getting into this and understanding what it is all about. If, say, six years ago, I was presenting something to the board meeting and tell them about the area under the rock curve or some genius statistics, they were like, 
what? Sorry, <laughs> we, we, we didn't understand you. Uh, can you translate it to money we are going to make? Or, you know, these kind of questions. But now I see the dynamics completely shifted and even business people start understanding what it is all about. Of course, it doesn't mean that we need to continue just reinforcing the technology or statistical language to them, but at least they start understanding how the terms like accuracy of the model, stability of the model can translate into some business metrics that they are particularly interested in. So I think it is a education coming from both angles. It is uh, educating the business people. It is also educating data scientists and technology team. And I think this is where the important role of chief data officer starts to be because these are the people at a very senior level who understand both languages and can be interpreter or storyteller that helps connect two people together. That's one thing. The second, I strongly believe that Again, data scientists, people shouldn't be just sitting in front of computers. They also need to be the decision table. They need to take a word and be part of the decisions that the business is taking. Again, because the models in isolation, they are not really working. You can build however accurate model you want, but if it doesn't fit into the product concept or into the business model that the company is building, it just doesn't have any value. And I think this participation of data science in decisions, in seeing how actually the tools or the models that build are used by the business is uh, very important. Yeah, and that is going on my wall. <laughs> data <laughs> scientists shouldn't be sitting in front of the computer all the time. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. Also because it's not healthy. <laughs> Definitely. <laughs> And if you had one big tip that something that you've learned from your career that you believe is important to anyone in the field, what would that be? Yeah, I would say just keep learning. Uh, you know, the pace of technology is developing uh, at a great speed. And, you know, there is the wording that says in times of change, learners inherit the earth while the learned find themselves beautifully equipped for the world that doesn't exist anymore. And that holds true for me personally, but I think it's very much relevant to all of us. If you look back 20 years ago, what was happening, the internet just started, but now the whole world, the whole life is on our smartphones and how we are using it and how much data it generates. And if you think about the next 20, 30 years, I think that the growth will continue being even more tremendous and we don't know where we will find themselves, what kind of skills will be needed. So it's all about learning, about adapting. And it's not only about hard skills, learning some new technologies or programming languages. I think it is also learning being adaptable to the whole environment and not only being a passive follower or adapter, but actually embrace it, enjoy it, uh, having fun, because you do not want at the end just to have the goal where you see yourself in 30 years in career terms and just kind of going into this direction. But it is all about the journey, right? There are so many ways how you can reach a goal. And this is all about what you learn, how many people, wonderful people and new people uh, and diverse people you see on your way. So I think that, that's the most important for me. And I think that this is a strong recommendation for everyone. Just be open, be uh, incredibly passionate about something new and just do not stick somewhere into the past. That's a very beautiful advice. I, I love it. 
So just before we close this episode, is there anything that you read or listen to or even watch that helps you in your career development and personal development? I would say I think now there is so much information everywhere. My suggestion, again, will be just focus what kind of information you are interested in and be specific about different channels or the podcasts that you are listening to. There are a couple of good websites that I'm following, like VentureBeat or the Wall Street Journal, the AI Journal, just to be up to date with the technology itself. There is a lot of good source on Twitter or LinkedIn for the data scientists. Personally, I follow the likes of Ali Miller or Kasi Kozirkov yeah. from AWS and Google Correspondent. They provide a lot of good content for someone who just wants to start learning data sciences, but also about all the recent developments in the area. There are a lot of podcasts as well, depending on the needs. There is Business of Data, the Python People. Considering uh, the, the pandemic times now, a lot of conferences as well are online and materials are freely available. There is Open Data Science Conference, Data AI Summit. So you do not need to travel far away now to, to meet the people to, uh, to talk. So again, just choose what you want to follow, uh, what content you want to consume and subscribe to it. And just do not hesitate even to contact uh, the, the people you don't know, because now again, the communities are so open. People are online and you can be freely available and reachable for any discussions, any questions. With regard to books, uh, I try not, not to read a lot about uh, <laughs> the, the data and just algorithm itself. I think that's been in the past. But I, I like to read a lot about two things. First, about leadership in general. I think one of my favorite ones by Brenna Brown. There she is a lot on the podcast as well. But the, the book that I like the most is Dare to Lead. Again, talking about how to be an authentic leader in difficult changing times, how to stay curious. So a lot of this kind of recommendation suggestions. There is a very good book, Unapologetically Ambitious. I just actually recently finished reading it, and I, I can only strongly recommend it, especially to the women audience, to read about it. It's just so many tips on how you can balance various dimensions of your life. That's from Shelley Archambault. I, I remember reading it over the summer as well. Yeah. Such a great book. I, I loved it. Yeah, that's a, an incredible book. And uh, another area where I like to read about is behavioral science and about behavioral studies and research. I think that, that the most recent that I read from Adam Grant is called Think Again. Makes you think a lot about the way you are thinking about how people think about their own opinion or assumptions they are doing. It's already difficult to change someone else's opinion, but it's even more difficult to change your own opinion. So it's all about why it is happening this way and how you can look at your own viewpoints from different angles. It's quite interesting. It makes you think a lot about how we can actually use a lot of this knowledge, even to motivate and change the behavior of the people. Thank you so much for joining me on the podcast. That was an amazing conversation. You have so much knowledge to share and I was just glued to every one of your words and thinking she's amazing and I want to know more. So thank you so much for joining me today. Thanks to you, Karen. It's an extreme pleasure to be on this podcast. Thanks a lot. Thank you for listening to the Women in Data podcast. We will be back in a couple of weeks with a new guest. Until then, if you have two minutes, it would be great if you could leave us a rating or a review as it helps not only to make the podcast more visible, but also to enhance the content. 
If you don't want to miss the next episode, follow us on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. We are also on LinkedIn. And if you wish to, you can even register to the community for free. All you have to do is head to womenindata.co.uk. Have a great day.